This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. We're going to begin in just a minute here. And I want to welcome you to our session on adding to the church. Fellowship is a winsome way to nurture belief. And my particular focus they've asked me to focus on is how friendships can lead people into the kingdom of God. And I have discovered, as we develop friendships with people, that many times it naturally flows into spiritual ministry, but other times we find hostility, we find anger, we find resistance, and we find people pushing away and and shutting down when we bring up spiritual things. So the special area that I want to focus on for practical ways to witness this afternoon is How do you get conversations started about spiritual things without alienating the person? How do you do it without losing the friendship? Because we all want to have friends for eternity, don't we? If you really care about a person, whether it's a family member or a friend, and if you have the love of God for your enemies, you want them to be in the kingdom. But you have to get through that rough point of the the conflict or the hostility. So we're going to take a look at that this afternoon. I'm very glad you're here. I want to welcome you. How's the GYC experience been so far? Amen. Yeah. We had the privilege of coming here on uh, Tuesday after three days in the car with two little ones. And uh, we were very happy to see the hotel and get settled. And uh, I'm Annie Morgan. My husband is David Morgan. He's a pastor and evangelist. And so we combine our ministries of training and pastoral and evangelism. He's not working as a pastor right now, so he's able to hold evangelistic meetings and travel. And we have a five-year-old boy. He's all boy. We have a two-year-old boy, and he's all boy. And uh, we're expecting another one in May, so we have a 20-week-old little one in the the oven. And uh, we feel very, very blessed and uh, very thankful to be able to be here together. It's fun to see some familiar faces, but my, oh, my, there's a lot of folks that I don't know either. And uh, heaven's going to be wonderful, isn't it? With the memory, you know, to be able to meet somebody and then and remember forever and make friendships, and be able to have them forever and ever. I'm looking forward to that. So welcome again. I'd like to begin with prayer, and I'd like to kneel, but you're welcome to to kneel and join me, whatever's comfortable for you. Our gracious and heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that you never give up on us until we finally close the door. I thank you and I praise you, Lord, that you don't run away when we push you away. I thank you for the love that you have that draws you to us again and again and again. I thank you for the pursuit of heaven for my salvation and for the salvation of every person here in this room. And Lord, as you've given each one of us a circle of influence, you've given us a place in your body of believers, you've given us a home to live in, a neighborhood to mingle with, and a workplace. And whatever sphere of influence, Lord, that you've given us, I thank you for that. And I pray that you will bless us this afternoon with practical ways and ideas that we can be like Jesus, that we can be friends with people and we can pursue them and share the gospel with them without chasing them away. And God, even if they do run for a little bit, I pray that we will have the sweet love of Jesus to draw them back. So take this time, Lord. Please do what you want to do with it and lead us into the understandings you want us to have this afternoon because you know where we're going to go from here. So I thank you for your blessing. We claim it, and we look forward to experiencing it this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, whenever we look at any area of ministry, we always want to do things God's way. And so we're going to begin by looking at God's way of reaching people. He does have a way, doesn't he? And the life of Jesus is the blueprint. It's our blueprint for all areas of evangelism. How did Jesus reach people? Well, he gave us an example, and so we can see in his life and throughout the account of the Bible the way that Jesus worked with people, the way he fellowshiped with them, the way he mingled with them, the way he talked to them, and everything that Jesus did was calculated to achieve the one goal that he had while he was here on this earth, and that was to seek and save people. You know, many times people think, well, you know, if you're trying to get your friends to heaven, you know, you have an ulterior motive. But I beg to differ. Because if you really love somebody and you really care about somebody, you want them in the kingdom, don't you? And so I say, take your friends and make them friends for eternity. Take your friends to heaven with you and make it the goal of your life like Jesus did to seek and to save the lost. You know, there's many things that we can do with our life, many goals that we can have, many wonderful experiences that God gives us. We can uh, build a home, we can travel, we can experience things, we can have different hobbies. We can have different careers. But you know what? Those things can be done in heaven. We have a limited time opportunity while we're here on this earth to share Jesus with people. We have a limited time to tell them how to get to heaven. And once we get to heaven, we'll be able to experience just incredible things and do and go and be and and have all these experiences. However, it will be too late to take somebody to heaven with us. So I encourage you to make it the passion of your life to seek Jesus, and as you seek Jesus, to take people to heaven with you. And um, I have a real passion for people that are hostile, people that throw up barriers and, and are angry, because I've come to understand that within the heart of the hostile person, within the heart of that person who's angry, is a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And that was the mission of Jesus. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set the captives free. And he wants to empower us to do that same thing. So first of all, we recognize that God does have a way of reaching people, and he's given us an example in the Bible of how to do that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then John 13, verse 15, it says, For I have given you an example that you should do what? As I have done. Absolutely. Now, how did Jesus do evangelism? If there was just one word that I could use today to tell you how Jesus did evangelism, it's the word that Jesus chose to describe himself when he was here on this earth. Many names for God in the Bible, but this one name stands out when I'm looking for a way that Jesus worked with people. And that word is Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel being interpreted is God with us. Jesus has a method. He has a way of reaching out to people. And it is summed up in that word, Emmanuel, which in being interpreted is God with us. Now, I've, you know, I've noticed again and again in now working with people, you have to begin at that foundation of having a closeness with them, a knowledge of them. You have to know where they are and where they're starting from. You have to have a friendship with them. You have to spend time with them. So we're going to be building here as we look at the method of Jesus. But it begins with who God is. Now, every time you reach out to someone, it's most important to, to do it from who you are. And God is love, isn't he? He is Emmanuel. He wants to be with us. I'll say that again. God is Emmanuel because he wants to be with us. That's who he is. He doesn't do it to change us. He doesn't do it to get us heaven. 
He does it because that's who he is. And people want to know that we're genuine. They want to know that our friendship with them will not be shaken. They want to know that it's not going to be changed by how they respond to what we say. They need to know that we're genuine. So all true ministry comes from who we are. That's how Jesus worked. He was Emmanuel, and that's why he was so powerful. God does what he does because of who who he is. So we're going to build a chart here, starting at the top here, who God is. God is love, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what that means. So what did did, um, God's very character cause him to do? Does God sit back in heaven and wait for us to come to him? He doesn't do that, does he? And so we see that because of who God is, because of his love for us, because of his desire for us to be in the kingdom, he came. Now, I love the description in Genesis chapter 1. It says that the earth was without form and void. And if you would look around you today, you would see a lot of people that they don't, they're without form. They don't have that identity, that clear understanding of what their purpose and their meaning is on this earth. They're without form, just like the beginning of time. And they're without form and void. Another thing that they're experiencing is that they're void or empty. People have loneliness, meaninglessness, and struggles in their life. And as we look around us, we see a whole world that's like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, without form and void. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God moved. Who moves? God does. Through his Holy Spirit, he moves toward us. And I love it if you combine it with the New Testament account when Jesus would see the multitudes of people. It says that he was moved with compassion. So when God moves toward us, he's not taken back by the chaos in our life, is he? He's not taken back by the emptiness of our life and the loneliness and the neediness of our life. He's not taken back by the the clothes that we wear or anything about us. He's not taken back by that. In fact, he's drawn to us. And so God moves toward us, and he moves toward us in compassion. And so any time that we're effective in ministry and taking our friends to heaven, we need to recognize that following the example of Jesus, we need to move toward people. We need to be initiators of friendships with people. And in 1 John 4, verse 10, it says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and did what? Sent his love. So here we see this movement toward us. God is always moving toward us in ministry toward us. So God came, didn't he? When Jesus saw the woman at the well, and he knew that she was seeking for the water of life, but deep in her soul she was, looking for the, she was seeking for the physical water, but deep in her soul she was looking for the water of life, what did he do? He started a conversation with her. Who started it? Jesus did. Now, how did he start that conversation with her? It's really interesting to me to notice that when Jesus started the conversation with this woman, he asked her for a favor. He said, may I have a drink of water, please? Now, when when, uh, people come to us, they're often intimidated by our religious profession and things like that, and they see us maybe as wanting to help them. But barriers can really be broken down when we approach people in the same way that Jesus did, and we're willing to put a need out there to them and ask them for help. Now, I can share a lot of stories of how relationships are being built in, in my little neighborhood in Washington State because our neighbors are having opportunities to do things for us and we're doing things for them. They give and take where they don't feel like a charity case, but they actually feel like you value them as a friend and you need them. 
So Jesus approached the woman at the well and he asked her a favor. He said, may I have a drink of water? But did he stop there? He didn't, did he? He went on to say, if you knew who it is that's talking to you and the water that I could give you, you would have asked me a drink of water. Did Jesus know how to bridge from friendship and courtesy over into spiritual things? He did. He was a master at it. And we're going to be practicing that a little bit later in our time together this afternoon. Now, we have a parable. We par- a parable of a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost boy, don't we? And in this parable, we see that the shepherd goes looking for the sheep because the sheep would not come of itself, would it? We see the woman searching for the coin. Now, it's a little bit different in the story of the lost boy because the lost boy is not ready, is he? He's not ready to come home yet. And so if the father would have showed up at the pig farm or at the party that he was in before then, he wouldn't have been ready to come, would he? But as soon as that boy recognized his need, like a magnet, Jesus, the heavenly father, was there waiting, ready to run out. The Bible says that he ran to meet him. And so can you just have this image and this picture of God, just that that eagerness, the compassion that he has for us, just that desire that soon, as soon as he sees that the opportunity is there, he's ready to run and embrace us and to take us in. And so Jesus is the initiator. He is our example. And so we should be initiators in our friendships with people and even in the transition that we make from friendship to spiritual things. The parable shows the father running to meet his prodigal son. Jesus met Jacob on his way to go see Esau. In the story from Genesis 32, when when, uh, Jacob is going to meet his brother, Jesus meets Jacob in that night of wrestling and talks to him and works with him until Jacob has peace with God. God sent Nathan the prophet to speak to David the king after his great sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And a little bit later on, we're going to look at the method that God used through the prophet Nathan to reach David. Now, David is a guilty person, right? David the king, he had committed adultery, and then he had had the man killed so that he would be free to have the woman. Now, you talk about some pretty, some pretty tough sins there, right? How do you approach someone who's making those choices, those sinful choices in their life? Many times, people will put up great barriers of hostility and arguments and excuses if you try to approach them and say something to them about their behavior. You know, do you have a wayward son or daughter or a brother or a sister or a cousin or a family member or or an aunt or an uncle? Somebody in your family that is doing wrong. How does Jesus approach that person? He still moves toward them with compassion, but he does have a special way of drawing them in back into his love without alienating them. And we'll, we'll look at that a little bit later. Right now we're just establishing the fact that Jesus goes to them. So Jesus goes, as we follow his example, what will we do? We will go. We will go. And this can be as simple as things that we extend our hand for a handshake. We introduce ourselves. We give invitations for people to have a meal with us. We go and meet all of our neighbors or the people that live in the apartment complex or the dorm building that we live in. We reach out to meet them and to extend that smile, that good morning, the handshake. We extend ourselves to be the initiator to begin the friendship with the person. And many times we sit back and wait for people to come up, come to us. And some people do, don't they? But does everyone? No. 
And so the example of Jesus is that we go. We pray for people before they show any spiritual interest. We introduce ourselves. We initiate conversations. We extend our hand for a handshake. We seek the friendship of others. And I want to encourage you, if you're a shy person, to just start practicing. Take some of these really small things and start practicing them. You know, I was the kind of kid that hid behind my mom every time there was a stranger. And I literally couldn't speak to anyone. If he would have told me that I'd be up front speaking like this, I would have wondered, you know, what, what you saw that I didn't see, you know? But I began practicing, practicing these things, and as I did, I have found that God's power will pour through you when you will take that step of faith. And when you're willing to do it and go out of your comfort zone, God will make it natural to you because he will work through you. And so I want you to practice some real simple things. Just practice putting your hand out and shaking someone's hand. How about we do that right now? And uh, Hi, I'm Annie. Yes, very good, very good. All right. (laughs) Very good, very good. Okay, we're going to have to cut. (laughs) Okay. Now, I have to say it sometimes it happens a little bit easier in a group like this, but (laughs) still, I encourage you to practice it. So many times I've held back in fear. I remember one time I was sitting in construction, and you know it's really easy when you're sitting in construction and you have somewhere you need to be. It's easy to be irritated, isn't it? (laughs) And, you know, but we've got to remember, we're building friends for eternity. And so I was sitting in construction, and I saw the lady that was holding the sign, and I kind of scoped out and kind of had an idea in my mind of whether she was going to be responsive or not to the gospel. And I decided she wasn't, because I noticed that everybody she talked to, she kind of gave them a scowl. And um, I thought, you know, she's not having a good day. Maybe now is not the good time. But I had that strong impression, no, give her a book. And so as we got there and we finally began to move, I, I uh, reached my hand out, you know, that reached my hand out, and I said, ma'am, this is a book for you. And her face just lit up. It just absolutely lit up, and she said, thank you so much. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm glad I didn't judge the book by the cover, right? And so as we practice these things of extending ourselves and going to people, we will find that there are people who are hostile, yes, but there are other people who look hostile who will turn out to be real responsive to the kingdom. We seek the friendship of others. We ask people questions. We show an interest in them. We invite people. We call people who don't call us. We come close to those who most need our help. I'm going to skip through a few of these so we can move on to some of the other really crucial parts of what we're talking about. You know, there's been a lot of training available on the FORT model of conversation. How many are familiar with that? The FORT model of conversation? I'm going to give it to you briefly because I just see a few hands. But F stands for family. O stands for occupation, R stands for religion, and T stands for testimony. And if, you, and if you haven't become familiar with it and you feel a little rough on how to start conversations, I encourage you to find some training on that and, um, and, get, and get more comfortable with conversations. But I'm going to move on to some other things. God wants us to start conversations with us. Now here's another really crucial part about God's method of reaching people. When God came to people... He came for a specific purpose. He came to be with them. Now, that may not seem significant to you, but it is. 
There are many reasons that we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians can go to someone's door or make friendship with our neighbors or develop friendships with people. But there's only one purpose that will win the heart, and that is to go to be with them. That's what Jesus did. He went to be with people. Let's develop this a little bit further. God came to be with people. That has been his desire all through time. Back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, Jesus walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the, of the day. God spent time with Adam and Eve. He is a God who wants to fellowship with human beings. And he wants us to become people who desire to fellowship with other people, who desire to be with people, who love people, and who go out of ourselves to be with people. And he can develop that in the, in the most uh, reclusive of us, <laughs> because he's done that with me. And then we look at when he made a sanctuary after the fall, after man had become sinful and even changed in their view and unresponsive to him. He said, make me a sanctuary for what purpose? The purpose of the sanctuary was so that he could dwell among his people. That's from Exodus 25, verse 8. And then, when Jesus came to this earth, we know he was Emmanuel, God with us. And so we know from that very verse that God is wanting to come to be with us. That's his purpose in coming to us and making that move toward us. In John 1, verse 14, it says, The Word was made flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. So our first purpose in mingling with people and developing friendships is to dwell among people, to be among them. And that was Jesus' way of reaching people. Revelation 21, verse 3, if we fast forward all the way to the end of this great controversy, when God is going to take us to his kingdom forever, why does he want us in heaven? Why does Jesus want you in heaven? And why does he want your, your enemy in heaven? Your enemy? Why does he want your friends in heaven? Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, according to Revelation 21, verse 3. God's desire is to be with us. Now, wouldn't you have loved to just be a fly on the wall and watch the first evangelistic mission that Jesus made to this earth? Wouldn't you want to watch Jesus, you know, if he would go visit somebody in their home or sit down around a small group in a, around a fireplace or something and just watch Jesus and how he interacted with people? Now, we're going to be going into the topic pretty soon of how to work with hostile people, how to work with people that are indifferent as well, but especially hostile people that are angry or that are guilty. Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit back in the Garden of Eden. And as they took that fruit, they experienced an excitement. They experienced a euphoria, if you will. They experienced such a wonderful tantalizing of their senses. This was an experience, and you can imagine for the moment that they entertained the thought even more and more, sure, God was withholding something from us. God was holding back, just like the serpent said, who came into the garden and said, you know, God doesn't want you to have the knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't want you to have that. He's holding back something from you. So they're having this wonderful experience. You know, I like to think about this as our friends that are in the party. You know, they're in the middle of the social situation, and they're happy. They seem to be happy. These are people that are partying. These are people that are living life, and it's good. And so Jesus sees Adam and Eve there, and you know his heart is breaking because he knows the pleasures of sin only last a while. But Adam and Eve are there, 
And God has a decision. Should I go to them or not? And you have a decision. Because whether you're on a university campus or working or have family life or wherever your sphere of influence is, there are people in your life that are living life and they feel like it's good. They present to you that their life is really good, it's busy, it's full. Should you go to them? Should you bust the party, if you will? You know, should you try to break into their life with spiritual things? Well, what did Jesus do in the Garden of Eden? Did he come? Yeah. Why? He had compassion for them, didn't he? Well, Adam and Eve don't have that euphoria forever. It fades, and they see that their garments of light are failing, and they feel their nakedness, and now they're afraid of God. Now, you have some people in your life that are timid. You have some people in your life that avoid spiritual topics. You have people in your life that don't want you to talk to them about religious things, and they have a wall up around them, a wall to protect them and keep them safe, and they don't want you to break through that wall. They're hiding in the garden, and they're hiding in the deepest places of the garden, and they don't want to be found. And I have a little, I have a little insight here that I'd like to pass on to you, and you can mull it around in your mind. But one of the best places for people to hide is in church. Because nobody comes looking for you there. And as I have knocked on many, many doors, so many times the big, the big wall that they throw up is, I'm very active in my church. Oh yes, I go to church and I have, act, I have regular Bible study. And, that, and they just want you to go away because they said that, you know? I'm religious. And that's the wall that they put up to say, I'm going to hide from you, don't come any closer. And so you will have religious people in your circle of friends, in your circle of influence. And they're strong, devoted religious people sometimes. And so how do you approach them? And I'll just share really quick, one of my favorite things to do at the door was when they said that. Well, I'm really active in Bible study. I've got my own Bible study. I've got my own you know, lessons. And our pastor teaches on this and this. And they tell you, do you mind sharing with me what you've been studying lately? And sadly, nine times out of ten, they're caught a little off guard. And you've got to be really kind, very kind at that point. And, um, but, you know, what topic? Are you studying a book of the Bible? Help them out. Help them remember what the last thing they studied was a few weeks ago, you know, or a few months ago, or a year ago. <laughs> because sometimes it's just the place that they hide. It's really not reality for them, but it awakens them. And then, you know, as you talk to them, ask them to share a little bit with you of when they first got involved in church. Take them back to those early times when they first had that first spiritual interest and get them talking about their testimony and things like that. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. But anyway, so Adam and Eve, they're hiding. They've lost their garments of light. Now they feel ashamed. They're afraid. God has a decision. Do I go to them? And you have these people in your life, in your circle of influence. So Jesus makes a decision, his first evangelistic mission to this earth. Jesus goes to the garden. He comes. And God is sending you to a lot of people in your circle of influence. So Jesus goes to the garden. Now, how does he approach them? We've seen that God goes. He came to us. We see that he goes to be with us. And this is reflected very, very powerfully in the first evangelistic mission of Jesus to this earth. Jesus asked them a question. Please, uh, please uh, feed back to me some of the questions that Jesus asked Adam and Eve. Where are you? Exactly. Now, I promise you that Jesus did not say, where are you? He did not say that because the Bible teaches that Jesus is moved with compassion when he comes to us. Now, there's some other things that Jesus said to them when he came to the garden. 
Do you remember what some of those were? Yeah. What, what is this that thou hast done? Did you eat the fruit? You know? And it's so natural for us to say those things first, isn't it? It's really natural to deal with people's behavior first. You have someone who's smoking, you have someone who's addicted to drugs, you have someone who's not been attending church, and you feel like, you know, I want to help them with these areas of their life to make changes so that they can be closer to God. But what is the first thing Jesus says? He says, Adam, where are you? Now, this is the meeting time between God and Adam when they would walk and talk in the garden and fellowship together. We're talking about friendship here. So you have friendships with people, right? You have friendships with people, and then all of a sudden the friendship breaks down. Have you had that happen? Something comes up, something spiritual or something otherwise comes up. Now what did Jesus do when the friendship and the fellowship between he and Adam had broken down? He still came, didn't he? And he came, his first question was, Adam, where are you? I want to go for a walk with you. It's our time to walk and talk. And you know, um, Isaiah chapter 59 says that our sins have hid God's face from us. It doesn't say that it hides God from us. It says that he hides his face from us. Now when you see somebody and you look them in the eye, you see whether they love you or not, don't you? You see whether they care about you or not. And so it's not until Adam comes face to face with his creator, the one that he's walked and talked with for so many evenings before and had such sweet fellowship with, it's not till God has Adam's eyes. It's not until the relationship is reestablished. It's not until then that God says, what did you do? Did you eat the fruit? And so we see a principle here that is extremely important if we're going to take our friends to heaven and if we're going to break through barriers to reach our enemies. And that is that there are two steps. First, we come to be with people. Adam, where are you? And then secondly, we deal with helping them change their life. So, read this with me, if you will. Before God seeks to change us, he seeks to be with us. Now we can ask ourselves that question. Do I have a great desire to be with this person? Do I have compassion and love in my heart for them? Even though they have sinned greatly, even though they have, there's a rift in our relationship, even though they've done wrong to me or whatever's come up with the conflict, even though they're argumentative when I bring up spiritual things, do I have a desire to be with them? And we need to maintain that compassionate love and that desire to be with people in order to reach them. So before God seeks to change us, he seeks to be with us. This is God's way of reaching people. And so from the, from the top here, all true ministry comes from who we are. God does what he does because of who he is. He is Emmanuel, God with us. We need to be people who are approachable, people who love people, people who are friendly, people who are kind and courteous. And out of that flows our method of dealing with our friends and our enemies, our family, our work associates, and our fellow classmates. So we have a two-step process now that flows out of this. The first one is to be with people, and then eventually we come to the place where we can be part of their life changing. But we first come to be with them. This is the method of Jesus. This is God's way of reaching people. And it is wonderful as we follow this method. In uh, Ministry of Healing, page 143, we see this same progression here. 
Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Did Jesus win the confidence of Adam and Eve? He did, didn't he? But he did it by coming to be with them. They saw that no matter how much they had blown it, no matter how much they had disappointed him, and, you know, people sometimes in our, in our uh, relationships, they feel like they've disappointed us. They feel like they've messed it up. They feel like they've done something to mess up the friendship or the relationship. They feel like maybe we're disappointed in them because of our religious beliefs. But Jesus was able to communicate to Adam, I still want to be with you. I still want you as my friend. I still want that fellowship with you. And here I am to take our walk together today. So... He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Then, do you see the two-step progression here? Then he bade them follow me. And he invited them to take up their... When, when Jesus says, follow me, he says, take up your cross, right? This involves a change of life. It involves a change of lifestyle. It, it does involve dealing with those things called smoking and alcohol and addictions and lifestyle and the way we believe and things like that. However, the first step is for us to be with people. And now, as we've looked at this particular comment here, we see some more details of how to develop friendships with people. Under the first step here, to be with people, we mingle with people, we desire their good, we show sympathy for them, and we meet their needs. And then after that, we have the other areas of, an, of Bible study and things like that. So look at, let's look at some ways that we go to be with people. I was... Um, working in New York City at the time, and I was riding the public transport. I was riding on a bus one day. As I was riding on the bus, you know, there's a lot of things that you see, just masses of people walking down the sidewalks. You see the homeless, you see different people. And there are people in life that never get approached. Uh, Many times the homeless do not get approached with true godly ministry. They get handed some food, but they rarely get handed the gift of companionship. Few people ever come to be with them. Other people that we often ignore are the rich people because we don't know how to break through that barrier. They have so much and it's all together and things like that. And I I wish we had more time to do all kinds of topics this afternoon, but I want to share this story with you. I was watching out the bus window and the bus made a lot of stops. It was slow going. And I saw this homeless man, you know, he's in his ragged coat, he's hunched over. And you can just see, you can see the suffering that he lives with on a daily basis. You know, people would walk along and you'd see them do this. You know, they would make a little bit of a circle around him. And they'd look at him and, you know, the faces and the kind of rejection that people live with. It's not just the homeless. There are people in our church that, that we go the other way around. There are people because they're a little bit too needy or there's something about them that is just kind of hard, makes us nervous. We don't know what to do with them. We go around them. I want to tell you that Jesus didn't do that. Jesus had a great compassionate desire to be with people. And the friendships and the relationships that you have, most of them will have a little bump in the road where they will be a person that's more kind of difficult to relate to. And what you do in those moments can make all the difference in whether you take that friend to heaven with you. Anyway, I'm I'm watching this homeless man and how people are relating to him. 
And this lady, I mean, dressed to the hilt, and she was obviously a professional. And she, you know, she walked with that aristocratic pride, you know. And so she's walking along, and she's got a little, um, a little puppy dog that is it's groomed. And it's just a beautiful little dog walking along with her. And as they're walking along, the dog is walking very obediently with her. And all of a sudden, the dog pulls the, the, um, the leash and goes next to that homeless man and sits down. He didn't sniff for food. He didn't even, even do anything. He just sat there. I mean, right next to the homeless man. He sat there. What did that puppy dog do? He came to be with that man. And the lady was quite perturbed by it. I mean, she called him, she, she tugged at that leash, and she got quite upset. You know that dog wouldn't move. That dog stayed. And many times in our friendships, as the little bumps come along in the road in our relationships with people, there will be bumps in the road. There will be conflicts. If you can press through those conflicts, you can have a friend for eternity many times. But we've got to be able to do that. And this puppy dog, he just planted his feet there. Sometimes to be with people means to stay with them. Even if you don't have anything to say. That puppy dog didn't make a single arf. It didn't make a single noise. It just sat there. And she had to physically, forcefully pull that dog away from the man and drag it down the street until it finally realized that she was stronger than him again and that he was going where she was going. But I thought to myself, how many times, you know, a bowl of soup grows cold in the, in the hands of a person because there's no love behind the gift. There's no desire, there's no compassionate love of Jesus to sit alongside and come alongside that person. And so I can't say it enough. Jesus comes to be with people. And think about the people in your circle of influence, the very people that you may want to avoid, maybe the people that are closest to the kingdom and the people that God wants you to go to. So in the same way that Jesus calls us to go to people, that Jesus went to people, he calls us to go to them. I want to tell you Debbie's story. It's very near and dear to my heart because she was hostile. She was angry. She was hostile and angry for very good reasons. Uh, Debbie had been terribly abused as a child. However, Debbie did not act as an abused person, um, as we commonly think of it. She was very functional. She was able to run her own business. She was able to uh, raise a, um, a child as a single parent. She was very capable. She knew how to dress, to keep a home, to pay a mortgage. She was able to do all these different things. But she didn't know how to let Jesus in her heart. And um, my husband, this was before we were married, but he had been living in the neighborhood where she was, and he had gotten to know her. She had been raised in a Seventh-day Adventist family. However, if on Sabbath afternoon when the children were sat down and, and had to listen to religious books, if they moved, they were mercilessly beaten. And it was only the mercy of God that some of those children weren't killed. The stories go on and on and on. And it was such a sad, sad life. But she had grown strong. She had grown tough. How do we go to be with people, not to change people? Well, when my husband was going to be moving on, my friend at the time was going to be moving on out of state, he said to me, please go visit Debbie. I said, I'd be happy to. I don't know her at all. And he told me very little about her, which I'm glad for. Sometimes it's better. I mean, it wouldn't have biased me. I just mean that I was, I was glad that I could go in fresh and just get to know her. So I came, I found the street and where she lived and everything, and I knocked on Debbie's door. And Debbie came to the door. 
she looked at me, and I guess I looked like one of those, religious type, you know? And because her first words were, what do you want? And I said, I wanted to visit you. What for? I said, well, I'd like to be your friend. I'd like to get to know, know you. Why? And I said, well, you probably know David. He was, he was in the neighborhood. He, you know, he stayed a couple doors down from you. And he said that, that I would enjoy getting to know you and that he thought we could be friends. She looked at me. Like, what are you talking about? And anyway, I, I said, do you mind if I come in? And I could tell. I could tell it was just one of those barriers you just got to plow through because you could just see the pain all over her face. Hostile? Yes. Angry? Yes. And so I, she finally consented, and she let me come into her living room. And I sat down, and we talked about her dog. We talked about her career and, and the kind of work that she did and things that had happened in her life and stuff like that. And again, she looks at me. She's got fire in her eyes. You know, she looks at me and she says, what are you here for? Are you trying to get me to join your church? You know, what do you say? It's just like right in your face. And um, I told her, I said, no, I'm not. I'm here to be your friend. Is that Okay. She's like, well, yeah, but if you're trying to get me to join your church, I'm not going to. And then I said to her, you know, Debbie, if God wants you to join my church and you need help doing that, I'd be happy to help you as your friend. But that's not what I'm here for. I want to be your friend, and if you never join my church, could I still be your friend? She didn't know what to do with that. (laughs) And she really didn't know what to do when I came back the week later to see her again, because she usually got rid of religious people really fast. And that was usually how she got rid of them. So when Jesus came to people, he came to them even though they put up the hostile barrier, didn't he? He came to them even though they were angry. And he came to them even though they didn't want to be part of his church. He came to them. And then if they pushed them away, he was respectful. But if they, you know, I was respectful of her. I asked her, is that okay? I didn't break into her home. She allowed me to, and I could tell she wanted me to be there. And I came back, and Jesus comes back, and he comes back to people. We must not let anything that people do or say to us stop us from that God-given desire to be with people. Because when God puts love in our heart, our love for them is to be with them. It's not to change them. It's to be with them. And I'm here to tell you that Debbie gave her life to Jesus. I'm here to tell you that Debbie is part of my church family. Not my local church family, but Debbie is part of the family of God. And she did what she didn't want to do. And it was a journey. It wasn't, it wasn't an instant thing. And we can't give up on people. I remember a man. We can't give up on people. We've got to love people. I remember a man who wanted to give his life to Jesus. And um, he had drifted away from the church. I went to visit him. There's many former members in our towns. I went to visit this man and his wife, and I sat down with them, and I talked to them about the Bible and about Jesus and what he had done for me, and we started Bible studies on a weekly basis. And I asked him to tell me about what it was like when he first joined the church. So he told me the story, and as we were talking, it was wonderful to talk together. And then I asked him, I said, what will keep you from coming to church now? And he said, well, I smoke. I said, that's okay. And he said, no, you don't understand. I can't come because I smoke. And I said, 
do you feel like you can't come? He said, well, no, I can't come. And we began to do Bible studies. And eventually he came to the point where he said, I want to quit smoking. And uh, he said, I know God can help me. I want to quit smoking. But he tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. I mean, it was hard. This man had a real battle with it. And I was trying to work with him. And one evening I showed up at his workplace when I knew he was on break. And he came out of his building there. And he looked at me and he said, why are you here? And I said, well, you and, you and your wife are, are my friends, right? He was in his 50s and he was in his 60s. And he said, yes. So that's why I'm here. Is that okay? Like, yeah, it's okay. And you've just, you've just got to love people. You've got to want to be with them, just like Jesus did. Um, Jesus had an amazing ability to want to be with people. Why does Jesus want to be with us? He sees what's in our hearts. In, in John chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following him, saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Where do you live? You know, the great human longing is for God to take up the dwelling place in our hearts. We have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And Jesus is so drawn to people because he knows he is the only one that can bring joy and happiness to their life. That's why he stands at the door and he knocks. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to be with us. It's like a magnet. If you take these two magnets here, this one represents people. This one represents God. And God knows the emptiness of the human heart. He knows that all human earthly satisfaction is going to fade away. And so he's drawn in fellowship and friendship to us because he knows that until we cling to him, we will be forever searching, forever restless, longing, lonely, chaotic, confused about our life, forever holding on to other things that never satisfy. And so God knows that the great longing of the human heart, the emptiness, matches the great longing that he has to dwell in us. And so we have an incredible equation here. We have an incredible match here, if you will, between the need of man and the capacity of God to love us. And God is so incredibly drawn to us with compassion. He wants to bond with us. And if we can see people the way Jesus sees them, care for people the way Jesus cares for them, and beyond the external surface, and be drawn to them because we know that Jesus is the answer, no matter what kind of excuse they put up, no matter what kind of fight they put up, realize that Jesus is the only answer. Our great desire plus God's great desire equals the gospel's power because man's great need is the same as God's great desire, and that is for fellowship together. We sometimes forget how much God wants us. We forget how desperately in love he is with us, even when we betrayed him. Look at the story of Hosea in the Bible. What a parable. As Hosea is giving his love and his life and his commitment to Gomar, and she's not deserving of it, is she? But again and again, he continues to extend that love to her. All right, let's move on and develop two skills here. Two skills, how to care for people, and we've been touching on that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because most of us have friendships and relationships in our life, and there's a lot of training that's that's, um, built on that. But how do we move our friendships into spiritual ministry? We always have to base it on who God is and our love and compassion for people. We need to recognize the two steps, that first we come to be with people, And then it is that we can be a a motive of change in their life. So first, we mingle, desire their good, show sympathy, meet their needs, and then we're able to invite them to follow us in spiritual things. So how do we care for people? We've looked at that some. How do we move friendships into spiritual ministry? 
I want to tell you just a few stories about following Christ's message, just a few things that are of uh, possible interest to you, and then we're going to move into more of the area of how do we work with people that are hostile and things like that. Oh, just a f- I've had the opportunity to work in about 20 different churches and see the different programs they do and be involved in them and things like that. But one of the things that we're doing in Northport right now is we're doing a community service program. And uh, these are just ways to reach out to the community. Now, in the community service program, we have a weekly meal with clothing. We have 300 people in our town. It's little um, out in the middle of nowhere town. And it's the smallest little pond that I've ever fished in. <laughs> but... Uh, we have such a small group of people. Anyone want to take a guess as to how many people come on Thursday afternoons for a meal and, and uh, clothing? Anyone want to take a guess? Please just give me a number. Don't be afraid. There's 300 people in the, in the town. Okay? So how many? 30. All right. Very good. Anyone else? 50. Anyone else? 20. All of them. Okay. <laughs> we have between 50 and 60 people coming every Thursday out of a town of 300. And those ladies and those guys that work in that program, they give people the gift of their companionship. That's what they're there for. And people are drawn to that because they see the love of Jesus working through those people. They have a vegetarian meal each week. People come sit and sit down and, and uh, enjoy the food there. Another place where we did a food closet, where we ministered to the needs of that community, as we did the food closet, I was a Bible worker, and so I followed up the names. And I did this little survey. I called people up. Now we're bridging into, how do we bridge into spiritual here? People are coming every week enjoying the food and the clothes and things like that. So these people were coming each week to the food closet. I did this little survey with them. I called them up and I said, Annie, I'm with, I'm Annie, I'm with the local um, Seventh-day Adventist food closet. I just have a couple questions for you. Is the staff friendly? They would answer. Are there anything, any services that you would like us to provide or needs that you have? And they would tell me. And then I said, I just have a last question for you. Um, as a gift to you to say thank you for coming to our program, we wanted to offer some Bible reading guides that cover topics like what happens one minute after you die, Um, where do you go, what's it going to be like when Jesus comes, Uh, how can you have a happy home, things like that. 50% of the people who had come to the food closet said, yes, I want Bible studies. 50%. That was a lot. It kept me busy. And I was able to stand up in church, in that California church, and say, you know, there's a lot more Bible studies than I can give. Who would like to give Bible studies? And so we had a lot of people join a Bible study group and how to give Bible studies and start following up on these people. But 50%, that's excellent. That's an excellent response. But you see, the food closet was following Christ's message, to mingle with people and to give that message, I want to be with you. It wasn't condescending. It was ministry. Now, there are places that would not respond to this kind of ministry. There are places that would be offended if you thought that they needed food and clothes, you know, because there's a whole other group of people. And so Jesus met people's needs. It's very important to prayerfully diagnose the needs of your community, if you will, and the needs of the people in, in your, that you have relationships with. Now, In uh, Sacramento, we did a program called Wednesday Night Out. So just different ways to build fellowship with your community. The fun thing about Wednesday Night Out is we did one advertisement, one night. The janitor opened up the church one night. All of these resources were poured into one night. But during that night, there were five or six different seminars to choose from. 
And so at one time, we were able to put all these resources into that, and then there were several choices that they could take from. Now, we discovered from that, it was almost like a way to do a little test. Our um, natural remedies class was packed out. I mean packed out. It was full. Our Daniel seminar had a few people, and our finance seminar had a few people. But what, what did we discover during that? we discovered that that community was very responsive to alternative methods of healing. So that was a way to mingle with people. So you have to be willing to, to do some study, to work with people, to find out what the needs are of the people you have relationships with, and then go from there. Now, in Northport, where I'm in right now, our small little community, we do have a surrounding area we can pull from. But we've tried archaeology, we've tried natural remedies seminars, we've tried cooking schools, Many different things are not building the relationships that we want. And then one time we decided to do a sustainable living program. Because in that area, people are trying to do solar, they're trying to go non-electric, you know, grow their own food and things like that. So we offered a sustainable living seminar. That was packed out. There were 120 people trying to come to a seminar in a little room that only holds about 50. And uh, it was just a wonderful experience to be able to network with all those people. So when, when Jesus worked with people, he began, he came to be with them, which part of that means you have to find out where they are in their interests. And if you can pursue a hobby, pursue an interest with a person, and start where they're at, then you can go a long way. And then taking them down that road of friendship and eventually taking them to the kingdom. So those are just a couple things that I wanted to share with you. Also, we've started a program called Open 7. And this is a really fun thing to do. You can do it in your neighborhood. You can do it from your church. You can do it from, you know, if you have a way to do it on a university campus or at your workplace or something like that. Um, You can do it over lunch hour. You can do it in the evening. But what we've done is every day of the week, the light is on at a certain time. You know, Motel 6 will leave the light on for you. <laughs> and, you know, it's such a great adage. It just, you know, we realized as a church family that to expect people to come once a year to evangelistic meetings, to expect them to come on our schedule at 11 o'clock, you know, Sabbath mornings, it wasn't really meeting the needs of the community. And we noticed when the bars were open. When are they open? They're open every night. Yeah. They're there, aren't they? So if, you know, Joe Blow has a crisis on Friday night, what's open? The bars are open. You know, and there's other places open too. The convenience store is open. And so there are places that are open and available. Jesus went to people. He was open and available to them. So we started something that has been really successful. It's pulled a lot of people in that weren't coming. A lot of people that had drifted away, and and we just didn't know how to take that next step in ministry to them. So what we do is we have themes. One night of the week we have health. Another another night of the week we have recovery. Another night of the week we have, because of our area, sustainable living and things like that. And so Open 7 has become a really fun thing. And the leaders in the community are coming to us and saying, this is really great. We really like what you're doing. And um, so that's been really fun, too, to be able to, not, even though they're not coming, they're watching, right? <laughs> and they're seeing it and they're appreciating it. So that's another thing. I want you to mull it over in your mind, and there may be a way that you can implement this in your ministry. 
So you want to build as many friendships and relationships with people as possible so then you can bridge them into spiritual things later. All right, those are just some, some things that I wanted to look at. All right, let's move on from how to care for people now to have, how to move our friendships into spiritual ministry. And we've been here for about an hour. I want to invite you to take a five-minute stretch break. Stretch, get some water to drink, use the restroom, and uh, stretch again, and uh, come back in five minutes. Now we're going to delve into how do, we, how do we bridge into spiritual things and how do we help people who are hostile. had a few minutes to visit. Um, so there's some folks that were asking more questions about Open 7 and different things like that, and I'd be happy to visit more later. And um, maybe if we can get through the material, we'll do, we'll do a question and answer for everyone to hear the questions, and, and we can dialogue together. We'll see if we can fit that in. But It's hard. Two hours goes fast. Yes. All right, let's pray as we begin our second time together. Heavenly Father, I praise you, Lord. You are such an amazing person. As such an amazing God, creator of the universe, and yet you stepped down to care about me. And there's never a time in my life or the lives of the folks here in this room, Lord, when something goes unnoticed. You always see, you always know, and you're always available to us. And Lord, please give us the ability to mirror this, to show this kind of love to our little circle of influence. However small or big it is, God, we just want to show people what you're like. We want to draw them like you drew people. And please give, that, give us that ability as we continue to study these fascinating topics this afternoon. And I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, moving into spiritual ministry in our friendships and in our relationships. That's the second skill we're going to look at this afternoon. Now, there's a common fear when we begin to talk to people about spiritual things. Is anyone scared of giving Bible studies? I was. And I still am at time. Is, any, is anyone scared of giving a gospel presentation? Is anyone scared of, of talking to people about the Bible? There's many times that we're scared of these things. And some of the feelings and the thoughts that we have go like this. I don't know enough. They're going to ask a question and I won't know the answer to it. I'll give you the answer. If somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, do you know the answer? I don't know. I don't know. That's the answer. You have the answer now. Okay, scratch that one out. <laughs> so if somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, what's the answer? I don't know. I don't know. All right, very good. You're ready to go. <laughs> and I want to encourage you to share what you do know. Has Jesus done something special for you? Share that with people. Tell people about Jesus, even if it's a little tiny bit. Have you taken two steps toward Jesus? Share about those two steps that you've taken to Jesus. People ask you a question, you don't know the answer. Say, I don't know the answer. It's a good question. And uh, maybe we'll find it out together. Maybe you'll help me find the answer. We don't have to be experts. We don't have to be authorities. We have to be fellow seekers with people. Remember, Jesus came to be with people. That little dog that sat next to that homeless man, he offered nothing but his companionship. And we're on a journey to heaven. We're still trying to learn how to get there. Jesus is leading the way, and he can lead us and help us to lead other people too. So now I wanted to get get into something fascinating. The common fear is I don't know enough. I don't know how to do it. I'll, you know, I'll flub it up. I'll mess it up. Somebody will ask me a question. I won't know the answer. You know, they'll be hostile and angry, and I'll handle it wrong, and I'll just ruin it. I'll mess it all up. 
But you know what? That's not the biggest problem. That's not the biggest problem that you and I have. There's a greater challenge. Oh, great, there's a greater challenge than that. I thought that was big, right? All right, there's a greater challenge, and here it is. We have the answers, but people aren't asking the questions. Do you have family members? Do you have relationships in your life? Do you have fellow students? Do you have coworkers? Do you have people? Do you have kids? Do you have parents? Do you have aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters? You know, the list goes on. Do you have people that you so desperately want to tell even a simple little part of your testimony or, or give a book to or share something with them, but they're not asking for it? You follow me? That's the greater challenge. So, our focus... Yes, we should be trying to come up with more answers and studying our Bible. That should be a passion of our life and learning more of what to share. But we also need to live our lives within our relationships in a way that awakens a desire for spiritual things. We are looking to deal with this greater challenge to help people ask questions to help people feel their need. And it's kind of like if you invited some people over and you had a great big meal, you know, your special lasagna and your cheesecake and your glass of tall lemonade and and your your French bread and all these things that were just delightful. Are you ready to come over? (laughs) And you have the table spread and you've invited people and you put all this into it and you have something to offer. And I want to tell you, if you have Jesus in your heart, you have something to offer. And then the people show up and they just kind of pick at the food because they already ate somewhere else. And you know, people have been satisfied with other things temporarily. So many times they don't show an open interest in spiritual things. So how do we awaken that? How do we awaken that desire for spiritual things? There has to be a desire. There has to be a need. There has to be a question. Otherwise, I can tell you all day long about Jesus. But if you're not interested in learning about him, what are you going to do? Tune me out, right? Especially if I talk a long time. So you're going to start tuning it out. So there has to be an awakening. The book Education, page 41, says, True education is not the forcing of instruction on an unready and unreceptive mind. And I know from talking to people that there are many people in this audience who have family members and relationships with people, and they would love to give them some information. Just love to be able to tell them what you believe, tell them about Jesus, but they're unreceptive. They're uninterested, and they seem to be unready. But is there hope? There is. The mental powers must be awakened, the interest aroused. So this becomes our goal. That's why the Bible says, blessed or happy or wonderful is the person that hungers and thirsts, hungers and thirsts after righteousness, because they're the ones that are going to be filled. Now, Before there can be an intense desire for the wealth contained in Christ, which is available to all who feel their poverty, we're surrounded with people who don't feel their need, there must be a sense of need. So, part of how a person is going to come to that point of need in their life is out of our control. A lot of it is out of our control. However, we must watch what God is doing in people's lives. Watch what God is doing in the lives of the people that you have relationships with. In order to watch, you must stay close to them. Has anyone ever cared for a plant? Even a house plant? You know, we used to be an agricultural society, but more and more of us don't have 
space or time for gardens, but some of us have houseplants. What happens if you neglect that plant for a week? It wilts, it dies. Yeah, very good. All right, so you have these plants. Your relationships are like plants. And I always told our students at the College of Evangelism that you need regular, weekly, personal, positive contact with people. And so in your relationships, look for a way to have some kind of touch point. Phone call, a note in the mail, an email, quick stop by the house just to say, you know, hey, I'm on my way home from work, just wanted to drop this off to you. Some kind of touch point in their life. And for those who do agriculture, you understand. And those who build relationships and value them, you understand too. Some kind of connecting point. And I like to encourage you with the goal of weekly. Now, depending on how big your ministry gets, it may turn into monthly with some people. Some people may be on weekly, some people may be on monthly, some people may be on quarterly or yearly. But just think in terms of, I want to keep contact with people. Because in order to watch what God is doing, you have to be able to see into their world, right? So you need to be able to see into the world of the people that you have relationships with. And what you're watching for is what God is doing. So let's quickly go through a couple ways that God awakens a spiritual need. Because until there's a spiritual need, you will be pouring water, pouring resources into a full cup. All right, so what does the Lord do? The Lord permits conflicts to prepare the soul for peace. I had a, a lady come up and ask during their intermission here, you know, what do you do with someone when you see them drifting into the party life and you see them going down this trail here? Well, so many people that we have relationships with are caught up in some pursuit, you know, whether it's working out because they want to have a, you know, a certain... Uh, physical appearance and be more attractive and popular, whether they're climbing the corporate ladder and making money, whether they're becoming more social and they're into the party life. People without Jesus are drifting into many other pursuits. What do you do when you feel like they're just, you know, they're just going? And, you, and you, you know, how do I connect with them? And I, I mentioned to this girl the same thing that, that I would say to each one of us, and that is that watch. When they come home from the first party, They'll be excited. When they come home from the second one, maybe two, third, fourth, fifth, watch for that point when they're sad, lonely, disillusioned, disgusted, dumped, <laughs> you know, hurt, fed up, when, oh, sick. <laughs> watch for those points when it's not as good and as exciting as they want you to think it was. Watch for those points because what God is doing is he's, he's giving people the freedom. He's giving them the rope. You know, you think the party life will make you happy? He lets people go, doesn't he? He lets them go and try it. But as they feel that emptiness and that loneliness and that disillusionment and that disgusting, you know, even eventually it's nauseating to them because the hurt starts to build. And you watch for those times, and God is speaking to people, especially when they get those points of, of boredom or disillusionment or frustration or hurt with it. He's speaking to them. And when God speaks to people, he wants to have a human being there so that they can see and feel and touch the gospel through our fellowship and friendship with them. Okay, so God is doing things in people's lives. He's allowing conflicts. When the heart is full of self-sufficiency and preoccupied with the superficial things of earth, the Lord Jesus rebukes and chastens in order that men may, what? Awake 
to a realization of their true condition. I'm going to skip some things here, but God allows crisis to awaken our need. I want to suggest to you that one of the first crises that he allows people to go through is the crisis of getting. How could that possibly be a crisis to get what you always wanted? How could that be a crisis? Are there some things that you want? Are there some goals that you have? And and don't you feel like you'll be pretty excited when you get there? All right, what are some goals? Maybe to get married. Maybe to lose 20 pounds. Maybe to, I'm just throwing out goals that people have. Maybe they want to pay off their car. Say again? Graduate. Graduate from college, university, something like that. Exactly. Um, high school, even. Graduation, marriage, birth of a first child, uh, landing a job that they've always wanted, um, you know, different things like that. These are exciting mile markers in people's lives. And as God allows people to achieve these things and get the desires of their heart, they, I like to say, they climb a mountain. And they get to the top of the mountain. And the novelist Jack Higgins, he said, I wish somebody would have told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah? And Solomon experienced that, didn't he? He, tra- he got all the things he wanted, all the people he wanted, all the stuff he wanted. And when he got to the top, he says, it's like wind. can't hold on to it. You know? It, I don't have anything. It's, just, it's vanity. It's a chasing of the wind. So... As you see one who, someone who's just working out, they're in the gym, you know, two, three hours every day, and they're, they're just devoted to it as if it were religion, and they're working out, working out, you know, and whether they want to be, you know, well-built, and, you know, a guy maybe just wants to be really well-built, a lady wants to lose a bunch of weight, or things like that, and they finally get that, that goal. Watch. They're climbing the mountain. Rejoice with them. Jesus entered into people's sorrows. He entered into their joys. Congratulate them. Be, cheer them on. Be with them. And be happy for them. That is wonderful. I mean, that's a God-given thing to have determination, isn't it? And to have goals and to achieve them, that's a good thing. But as they get to the top, you watch. Stay close to them. Watch for what God is doing in people's lives. And be ready when they, when they start to, as soon as they get that popularity that they thought they were going to have and realize that they don't have any true friends, Be ready to say it's lonely out there, isn't it? Just a little word that lets them know you are the person who loves them. You are the person who cares for them. And when they land that job and day after day, it might take a few months, it may take a few years, and they start to say, I'm bored. And you can say, you know, life does get boring, doesn't it? What what is it that makes life worth living? Plant those little seeds. Watch what God is doing in people's lives. And as you have fellowship and relationships with people, look for those spiritual openings when the things that they're getting are not satisfying them. Okay, the crisis of getting. People get things, they get people, relationships with people. They even have a new religious experience. Some people go into addictions. But then eventually they ask the question, now what? It's like climbing a mountain. I remember a beautiful story of a proposal that a young man made to a woman. He said to her, I've gone as, as high as I can go by myself. Will you marry me so together we can go higher? And it, it was a very touching, sweet you know, proposal. But I thought about God. God will allow us to go as high as we can go by ourselves. And then when we get to the top, yes, he's proud of us and what we've done. But he has an offer for us, doesn't he? He says, how would you like to go higher? 
And you know, when someone gets bored, they get disillusioned, you know, the popularity they thought they'd have when they, you know, when they were beautiful or looked like a magazine cover, it's really not there. And they find the emptiness of human materialistic things. That's the moment to say, would you like to try something that's really made me happy? Would you, can I, can I, can I have you, can we have lunch? Can we do lunch together? Or, you know, can we take a walk in the park? Whatever's appropriate for the person. You know, let's get together. I want to share something with you. You know, I can tell you, and, you know, March 15, whatever, I sat on a park bench, and I was so bored to tears with the things in my life. And then I realized that I hadn't read my Bible in a long time, and I started reading it, and I started helping people, and my life is not boring anymore. You should try it. Do you see what I mean? It's just this little, it's this little part of your testimony shared at the time when their appetite when their thirst, when their interest has been awakened. And so first of all, we watch what God is doing and we watch what's happening in people's lives. Let me, a little quiz here. What was the first crisis we're talking about? The crisis of getting. All right, what is our part? Are we supposed to give people a bunch of stuff? <laughs> Buy them a car and pay off their mortgage and, and fix them up with a relationship so they'll get all these things and they'll be in this crisis? No. Our part is to watch and to pray, right? Watch and pray and stick close so we can be there when they get disillusioned with it and when they get discouraged with it. Okay, moving on. When I get it all, is this all there is? People ask questions. Some people won't look up until they're at the top because there's nowhere to look from there, right? You've been everywhere else. Been there, done that. Crisis awakens spiritual questions. So you go to school. My husband gave his life to God as a result of the crisis of getting he was one of those people that battled through um, difficult times in life. He made it through college. He graduated, and he rode the wave of Y2K. And so he had a really good job. He was making a good income, and he had everything that he was supposed to have. His family was proud of him and things like that. But one day, as he was driving along the road, and he had an evangelistic series on cassette that his brother had given him. And he was not responsive to it, but it was in his truck. And he popped one of those tapes in at a low point. And as he listened to a sermon on the judgment, he parked the car on the side of the road and he said basically these words. So you go to school, you get married, you get a good job, you have a family, you go on a vacation. Then what? What's life all about? And he sat down and he gave his life to Jesus. And through the course of the time, he was baptized and he started living his life for mission work. And eventually, he became an evangelist and pastoring and things like that. God brought him into my life. And, and uh, it's a beautiful story, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, it was the crisis of getting that got his attention. And aren't you glad that he had a brother who was willing to give him a set of tapes that he didn't want so that that was available for him at the right time, you know? Is there more to life? Is there a perpetual novelty? Or, or am I always going to come to a boredom in the things of this life? God is the one who invites us to go higher. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, God whispers. He whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It is pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So let's look at pain now. There's another crisis, isn't it? Some people don't look up until they're flat on their back. And so... As you watch the people that you have relationships with, you'll, 
They watch the roller coaster. They'll get things, and that'll be a crisis often. They'll go down, there'll be a valley, and they'll get other things that they want and have breakthroughs in their life, but then they'll have low points in their life. They'll be all excited about a new relationship and then brokenhearted over a breakup. There'll be things going on in people's lives, and we will need to be ready and available to touch them at those low points, too. So people, what are some questions that people ask at low points? Yeah, how did this happen to me? Why? Why did this happen to me? Where is God? And um, we have a, please stop by the booth tonight and get a free DVD called The, uh, the Breaking Point. It's a, it's a DVD that goes through the sufferings of Jesus because I, when I first started out in ministry, I dreaded that question. Where is God? You know, where is God when people reject me? Where is God when, you know, my family breaks up? Where is God when I lose everything? I used to dread those questions because I didn't know what to say to people. But through the course of time, God has led me to what has been a really life-changing understanding of what I've come to call the wounded healer. And it is so wonderful to be able to welcome those questions and to have people ask them and just inside to feel like, I can't wait to share something with you, you know? And, it, you know, you don't act that way, of course, because it's a time of sorrow, and, you know, many times you're even crying with people. But to know that you have something of Jesus to share with them in those moments, those, those low points in their life. And uh, so please stop by. It's called The Breaking Point, but it's about the wounded healer, and it's just been life-changing for me and totally transforming to ministry because now I love to dive into that deep end of where is God in the middle of pain. Yes, please. Uh, the gospel net. Yeah, the gospel net. Okay, so during the crisis of losing, uh, hopefully I'm on my same train of thought here, but during the crisis of losing, people lose things. And you know, as you watch people, our question often is, how do I break through spiritual things with people when they're not interested? But as you watch them, you will see the crisis happen over things that you may not appreciate. There are people that totally fall apart if their cat dies. That may not be something that would bother you. But that may be that person's whole world because their cat needed them, their cat welcomed them home, their cat was their companion, their cat was their life. And when that cat dies, they're not, they don't feel needed, their, their home feels empty. So watch for the crisis of losing in unexpected places. Watch for people's reaction to things because it may be losing something really small in your eyes but huge in their eyes. And of course, people can lose health, they can lose their marriage, they can lose a child to death. You know, there's a lot other, of other things too. But don't overlook the little things, the things that people lose. So as people lose things, they begin to ask questions. When I've lost it all, have I really lost it all? Is this all there is? Where is God? Why is this happening? Doesn't anyone care? And why me? And as we read, God shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So these two crises, the crises of getting and the crises of losing, are going to be going on and playing out in the lives of people around you. And in your life, too. And in my life. You know, I, I find that I can be have a certain relationship with God, and then I have a certain loss in my life. And that particular loss will awaken more of an emptiness, more of a loneliness in my heart. 
And then I have a choice. I have, na- I have things that I'm naturally drawn to, relationships I'm drawn to or activities that I'm drawn to, you know, that fill those lonely evenings. And as I'm drawn into those things, I'm getting caught up in the world. But we can have the opportunity to recognize that Jesus wants to meet us at those points, those low points or those high points, and actually say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to spend this evening reading my Bible. I'm going to spend this evening with Jesus. I'm going to take my life to Jesus right now. And we can go to Jesus in the same way that we want to bring him to people in these points of crisis in their life. Now, what was our part to play as we watch people go through these crises? Watch and pray and come close to them in their times of need. We watch and pray. Now, what about a more proactive, a more active role that we have in awakening a spiritual interest? You see, I'm not going to crash somebody's car and make them go through the crisis of losing. You know, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to initiate those things. I'm going to watch where it's happening and draw close to a person during those times. But what about something else? You see, as people go through life, they have a God-given need for fellowship with God. They have a God-given need for spiritual things, but it's, it's a nameless longing. Many people haven't put their finger on it. When they, they know when they're hungry, they want food. When they're thirsty, they want water to drink. When they're lonely, they want people. But they don't always recognize what is that restless craving. When I need something, I don't have, but I don't know what it is. So people are looking. They're like scanning everything they see, everything they experience in life. Is that it? Is that it? Is that it? Is that it? Is that what I'm looking for? I'll try this. I'll try that. And as they go through life, they see people. They see people who get angry when their kids throw a tantrum. They see people who, you know, kick the copier when it doesn't work. They see people who just go into despair when they have family or emotional problems. That's not what they're looking for, is it? No. But when they see someone who's patient, someone who's cheerful, someone who is kind, someone who's hopeful, someone who has a purpose in life, someone who cares and is loving with the people around them, this is what happens. That radar is going, deep, 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 nope, 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 nope. Wait a minute, what did I see? What is it about that girl? What does she have that I don't have? And all of a sudden they say, I want it. Oh, well, she's the religious type. Wait, wait a minute, she's still happy. Did you realize that? She crashed her car and she's still laughing. Oh, well, she's the religious type. I'm not interested. I already crossed religion off my list. I don't need God in my life right now. Wait a minute. You know, there she is again. It's something about Jesus in us, in our daily lives, when people can truly, really see that we have peace, that we have love instead of fear. When they see us initiating friendships, when they see us being rejected and still caring about people. Often people watch how we treat other people to see if they want us to even be our, if they want to be our friend. They watch how our tr- church treats other people. We've seen that in our community. The leaders in the community are watching how we treat people. And they're coming up and they're saying things, positive things. They're watching us. Sometimes they, just, they keep safe by not getting too close to these religious people, but they watch how those religious people act. Because if they ever need a religious person, they've got to decide who to go to, right? And they've got to decide if you're the one. 
You know, and if their family falls apart and they saw you yelling at your kids or, you know, snubbing your wife or talking down to your, you know, whatever, they're going to go, that's not where I'm going. But if they come to respect and appreciate what they see in you, no matter how much they act like they don't like it and don't want anything to do with you, when they come to that point of need, they will come to you. I've seen that play out over and over and over again. So the radar scans, you know, there she is again. That's what I want. And eventually, that will create the opportunity for you to share with them where you got what you have. And so there is a very active role that we play in leading people to that awakening where they have a desire for what we have. You want your relationships to be relationships where you can take your friends to heaven? Be the person they want to be. And that only comes from having Jesus. Pursue Jesus with all of your heart. And as you pursue him, they will see in you what they've been looking for all of their life. And they're going to want it. But they don't, they're not going to tell you right away. People have a lot of barriers up. And they're not going to necessarily tell you right away. But they're going to say, that's it. That's what I've been looking for and that's what I want. I want that for my life. I was standing in a post office line. It can be as simple as this. I was standing in a post office line and there was a long line. And so... 99% of the people in that line were irritated with the postal service, and they showed it. Should the Christian do that? Should the Christian have peace? Should the Christian be happy? Yes. So somebody at the front of the line, she has her big pile of stuff, and, and she's obviously not as put together as some, some of us, you know? And so, you know, they could just see it. She's carrying all her boxes, and people are like, oh, she's going to take forever. And then she gets almost to the line, and they see it moving, and she drops all of her stuff. 99% of the people in that line are over-the-top irritated now. But there's one person in that line that bends down and helps her. Again, the radar scans, you know. What is it? What is it about that person that they can be so kind under trying circumstances? And Jesus is calling you to be that person who will awaken in your circle of influence a desire for what you have. And that, that takes us to our knees, doesn't it? it? It takes us to our knees to say, you know, God, what do I have? Do I really have you? Are you really controlling my life? People cross out so many things in life because it's not what they're looking for. But they say, wait a minute, what did I just see? That which will be most effectual is the testimony of our own experience. And it creates a crisis in a person's life. It creates an awakening because they say, wait a minute, I've tried everything to get that. I don't have it. And that religious person, I don't want anything to do with, has what I'm looking for. Oh, I wish it was a different answer. I wish I could find somebody like that in the, you know, in the bar. I wish I could find somebody in, that, in a secular pursuit you know, that's living a worldly life. But you know, I can only find it in those religious people. And oh, don't you wish that we were all representing Jesus. Can you imagine how the world would be turned upside down if people could look into the life, the life of Christians and really see what they're looking for? This is how our relationships can, can result in relationships for eternity. Now, again, for sake of time, I'm going to encourage you, if you have any struggles on how to share your testimony, to please look up some books, some resources, and... Um, Pursue that, because we need to move on for the sake of time. There's another crisis that comes in a human life, and that is the crisis of hearing God speak to them. Now, God can speak to people through a lot of ways. It can be a a radio program, a TV 
program, it can be a flyer in the mail, it can be a billboard, it can be a song that they hear, it can be something that is shared with people. But this is the fourth way that we're going to look at, that God awakens that point of need in a person's life. Because again, until the people you have relationships with feel their need, you will not be able to take them to heaven with you. They must feel their need before you can really effectively share the gospel with them. So this is crisis number four, hearing God speak to a person. Now the Bible says, how shall they hear unless there is a preacher? And how shall there be a preacher unless the preacher is sent? Now is the Bible talking about ordained ministers? Or is the Bible talking about messengers? Is he talking about you? Is he talking about me? Again, we could take an hour to establish that from Scripture, but God has called each one of us to take the message of the Bible to people. So, there are people who need to hear the message from you and me. And this can get kind of scary, but God needs to speak to the consciences of people too. God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden, and we need to follow the example of Jesus. So, there are times in our relationships when we need to take that scary step, and directly, actively share God's word with the person. Adam and Eve were happy in their party with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then they were scared and they were running and hiding. But Jesus came and he spoke his word to them. Christ's Object Lessons, page 196, says, Day by day we meet with those who take no interest in religious things. We talk with them. We, we visit among them. Do we show an interest in their spiritual welfare? Do we present Christ to them as the sin-pardoning Savior? With our own hearts warm with the love of Christ, do we tell them about that love? Do we talk about God? You follow me? Do you and I talk to people about God? And this is where we are afraid at times that we will alienate our friendships. And instead of being successful, we fear, that we fear that we will fail. So do we talk to people about God? I want to share with you something that's been really helpful to me. And this is something I got from a, um, a really fun book called Out of the Salt Shaker. And in this book, the author talks about a model of conversation. I call it ISR because it's, I guess in its own corny way it sticks in my mind, but it's I-S-R. I stands for investigate. S stands for stimulate, and R stands for relate. So, in our relationships with people, investigating can come pretty easy. Let's just say that you are talking to a farmer. What are some questions that you could ask the farmer? What do you grow? Excellent. That's investigating. Go ahead. How's your crop this year? Excellent. Good questions. What else could you ask the farmer? Yeah, what kind of challenges do you meet as you try to grow things? Okay, what else could you ask? How's the growing season this year? Okay. All right, anything else? If they grow corn, what's the price of corn this year? How's the market for corn, you know? How's your business doing? How are you doing making it as a farmer? You know, how's the economy affecting you? Things like that. All right, any other questions? Say again. Yeah, what equipment do you use? All right, so now you're talking about farming. That may happen over a course of a day, a week, you know, months, whatever. But let's just say that you're traveling down an interstate, and I'm going to read a couple quotes about how Jesus worked with people here. 
It says that Jesus found access to people's minds by the pathway of their most familiar associations. So what's most familiar to a farmer? Farming, exactly. So he found access to the minds of people by that familiar pathway. So in the ISER model, investigate, stimulate, relate, we're going to be going down the pathway that they're familiar with. And so you're going to talk to them about farming, right? You're going to meet them where they are, and you're going to talk to them about it. And you're going to ask them lots of questions. And you're going to develop that friendship, and you're going to be with them in their farming. Okay? So let's move on here to another one that's kind of interesting. It says, by being social and coming close to the people, you can do what to the current of their thoughts? Turn. By being social and coming close to the people, you may turn the current of their thoughts more readily than by basically the best sermon that's ever been preached. Okay, so now you're talking to this person about farming. And I like to picture it like, you know, just driving down an interstate with them, taking a a conversational ride down an interstate with them, and you're going fast on things of this world. Farming, talking about farming. Show lots of interest in it. Take lot, ask lots of questions. Be genuinely interested in it. And as you go down this road and you're traveling down the interstate, you're looking for an exit. An exit into what kind of topics? Spiritual topics. Now how are you going to move from farming into spiritual topics? Yes, please. Okay, what happens when you have a crop failure? Okay, you may be able to talk to them about the hard parts of farming, right? And where do they go to when times are tough? Excellent, really good. Okay. What makes your seed grow? What would that question do? What makes seeds sprout? I'm trying to find something in their realm, their interest. I'm trying to find something that's going to reveal the power of God. Talk to them about the germination of the seed. How does the seed sprout? Okay, so you fertilize it, you give it water, you give it things like that. Is that what makes it sprout? Okay, so now that question, let me see if my next slide has that here. Okay, that question would stimulate further thoughts. Okay. And what happens when that seed sprouts? Well, it begins to grow. So you're gonna, now you're going to be able to get in the realm of relating things. Okay, let's take the example of, well, let's take the example of Jesus in John chapter 4. When, what's that? A mustard seed. Very good. You can share the Bible verse about the mustard seed. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Uh-huh, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Excellent. And I want to share something with you. When you get to the point of relating When you get to the point of relating, when you want to share something spiritual with them, at that point, there's a very key phrase. May I? Can you say that? May I? Be respectful when you bridge into spiritual things with a person. May I share with you the power that I see operating when a seed sprouts? Okay? May I share with you? Now, Jesus. this example comes from Jesus. When Jesus talked to the woman at the well, he asked her for a drink of water, right? And he gave her a drink of water, but, and he was investigating, you know? He talked to her and asked her things. However, he then said to her, if you knew who I was and who you were talking to, you would ask for a drink from me. So Jesus went from water to water of life. He took that highway exit, disturbing as little as possible, the things that she naturally talked about. He took where she was and he just took that highway exit onto something spiritual. And this is a fascinating skill to practice over and over in your conversations. As you have conversations with people, 
It's on the things that they're interested in, but you're always looking for the highway exit to get into something spiritual with them. And so as we do this, we're looking for a stimulating question. So he said, if you knew what I, what I had, you'd ask for me for the water of life. Did that awaken her need? Did that awaken her interest? It did, didn't it? Yeah, and she said, sir, give me this water. Well, now, if, she, if he had walked up to her and said, I have, a, you know, I have the water of life for you, that would have been more abrupt, wouldn't it? And so we need to take the conversations that we naturally have with people and then bridge in. Um, I've used the example sometimes before about a fashion designer. You know, you talk to them, you know, what fashion designers inspired you? What kind of clothes do you design? Where do you get your fabric from? You know, who are some of the, you know, people that you sell your, your designs to? Questions, questions, but then what could stimulate thought? For sake of time, I'm just going to throw one out here. Do you, have you ever thought about who the original fashion designer is? And who is it? God, he designed the models to put the fashions on, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so you can talk to them about that. And God's desire, may I share with you something he's done in my life? You know, I had a broken life. And he's been redesigning me. And uh, I may not be attractive to anyone else in the world, but, but I've sure come to know that he sure likes me. You know, it's just little simple things. You're bridging. You're going down that highway of what they're interested in, and you're looking for an exit to turn into something spiritual. So that's the ISER model that is really helpful in, in helping our relationships have more of a spiritual tone to them. Now, the last one I want to look at here as far as our, our just skills and things that we can do in witnessing. Go to your neighbors one by one. And your neighbors could be your fellow students, your coworkers, your circle of influence. Come close to them till their hearts are warmed by your unselfish interest and love. And then sympathize with them, pray with them, watch for opportunities to do them good. And as you can, gather a few together and open the word of God to their darkened minds. He who begins with a little knowledge in a humble way and tells what he knows while seeking diligently for further knowledge will find the whole heavenly treasure awaiting his demand. The more he seeks to impart light, the more light he will receive. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others, with a love for souls, the plainer it becomes to himself. The more we use our knowledge and exercise our powers, the more knowledge and power we shall have. Isn't that encouraging? That's just really encouraging. Now, I want, I want to help you get started with Bible studies today. And I, uh, please forgive me, I don't have one little thing that I really want, but does anyone have a card or an index card or a little, even just a little sticky note or a piece of paper like that? Uh, so something I needed for this class and I don't have it on me. All right, you've got one back there. Can may I borrow it for, from you for a minute? I'll be happy to give it back if you need it back. Is it something you need or is it blank? Okay, just a piece of paper. Thank you very much. That's what I need. Okay. I want to tell you about one of the, the easiest way to get Bible studies started. And um, if you're scared of giving Bible studies, you maybe can relate to the name that I've given it to, given to it here, Hit and Run Bible Studies. Have you ever wished you could give a Bible studies and then run for all your worth <laughs> and forget you ever did it? Okay, well, you know, you may not be naturally one of those people that likes to give out tracts and, and things like that. Well, I tend to be a person who draws back from doing that. I love talking one-on-one -on -one with people, and I love ministry. But giving out books and pamphlets and things like that in Bible studies is not easy for me. And I discovered something that has been life-changing, and that is... In a society that is bombarded with radio, media, television, books, tracts, stuff, written materials and things like that, 
a personal note wins the day. Now, here's what has been so effective. Take an index card, a piece of paper, a sticky note, and, uh, you know, it deserves something nice, but if you don't have it, do it with what you have. Write on there a Bible verse that you have recently read that has been an encouragement or something that has really blessed you. Take that card. Take 5, 10, 15 of them. You have time to make them. And then ask God to show you which relationship that particular day is the one to give it to. All right? And this is how you do it. And this is going to be, this is going to be uh, practiced a few times. Is there anyone here that would be willing to practice this with me? It's easy. I won't bite. I won't hurt. Nothing. Okay, yes, right over here. Okay, this is how it works. This can be the UPS man. This can be the lady at the teller. This can be your cousin. This can be your daughter, your son, your brother, your, your mother. It can be anybody in your circle of relationships. I read this this morning, and I wanted you to have it. I just gave a one-verse hit-and-run Bible study. Okay? Let me demonstrate it a little bit different. Here's another way that you can do it that's really, really fun and easy. Did you get one of these? <laughs> yeah, you did, right? No. <laughs> okay, can you say that with me? Did you get one of these? Okay. Have you ever read this? Okay. And I, I'm so sorry. It's supposed to have a Bible verse on it, okay? Would you demonstrate that with someone for me? Okay. Oh, sure. That'd be fine. I haven't. Is this from the Bible? Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. All right, thank you. Now, I want to tell you some of the experiences that have happened with this. This one happened unintentionally, and it helped my husband and I to see what potential it held. He was getting his hair cut. Now, hairdressers can be somebody you have a relationship with, right? Because you go back again and again and again if, if they do a good job, right? <laughs> and so anyway, he got his hair cut, and um, he had a couple cards of Bible verses that he was memorizing. And he laid them down as he was getting his hair cut and forgot to pick them up. So he went, and I was trying to meet back up with him, and the lady, she saw me, and she said, didn't I just cut your husband's hair? And she was new. It was the first time she had done his hair. And I said, I said, yes, you did. And she said, your husband left these at my station. Please make sure he gets them. And I looked at it, and I saw it was a couple of his Bible verse cards. And I said, would you like to keep those? And she said, really, could I? And uh, she said, this one, she said, you never believe it. She said, this verse, I heard it on the radio this week. This verse was exactly what I needed. This has been a hard week. I read this verse, and now your husband is leaving this on my station, and now you're telling me I can keep this verse. She said, you don't know how much I appreciate that. And I thought, wow. We were doing a class like this, and we were practicing it. So we were writing out Bible verses and, and sharing them. We were giving hit-and-run Bible studies to each other. And um, it was so fun because for a while in, in our group, everyone would say, I did a hit-and-run Bible study. And new people would be like, what's that? <laughs> and, uh, but we talked about it. And uh, we were passing about in the class, and one of the ladies in the class, you know, strong, solid member of our church, she told me, she said, you don't know how that one verse that, that you know, so-and-so shared with me this week was just what I needed. And it got me through the week. You don't know how big that was in my life. And so hit-and-run Bible studies, what they do is they allow you to bridge from your, your worldly relationships into a little spiritual thing. But you hand somebody the card and you say, did you get one of these? Or I read this this morning, wanted you to have it. Just something so short. And then you go on to talk about the weather. 
It's not, you see, people need spiritual appetizers. When you give them a spiritual feast that they didn't ask for, they often say, oh no, here they come. They're going to do it again. But they don't do it with a friendly little card like this. Now, there might be a few that get a little hostile about it, but not, they don't generally do it with this, and it's really, really fun. Now, the next one that I like to talk about is the one-verse Bible study. This takes a little bit more courage. This time, you don't necessarily just hand it to them and say, did you get one of these? It's not that easy, and you don't get to run so fast. But this time, what you do is it's a Bible verse that you have read, and you say to the person, I'd like to share something that I read that was really neat this morning. Did you realize that God promises to never leave us or forsake us? And uh, I have it written on a card for you. I wanted you to have it. Now, this time, you don't have to have a card, but you can. But this time, you say the verse to them. And it starts with, I read something that I really liked. Can you say that? I read something that I really liked. I wanted to share it with you. Can you say that? I wanted to share it with you. It's that easy. And then you say, you know, I read that Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. And, you know, as you may know, I, you know I've had some, some people that, that I used to be really close to with that, you know, I've lost. You know, I lost my mother, you know, whatever. If you have a, a personal experience to go with it, that's great. So you share it with them. Now, I've got to tell you a story. This has got to be one of the funnest stories. But um, I was doing a class, and it was... Um, and a really nice group of people. And this one guy, he came to the class. And um, we were talking about hit-and-run Bible studies and then one-verse Bible studies. And I was going through different ways to bridge from our, our friendships with people into something spiritual. And I said, who would be willing to try a hit-and-run Bible study this week? And in our class next week, tell us how it went. Somebody volunteered. I said, who would be willing to do the one-verse Bible study? And nobody responded. And so this guy, he was a construction worker, he put his hand up and he's like, all right, I'll do it. He said, but it's not going to work. So anyway, I, I'm like, all right, you do it. I'll pray. And so he went home and then he, you know, he tried, he was hoping he'd remember because he knew he didn't really want to do it. He woke up that Sunday morning and they ended up going to the job site that Sunday. His coworker needed a ride, which he often gave his coworker a ride. And they're driving in his truck, and he thinks to himself, I've got to do it. Let me get it over with. And so he thinks, I need to do it. And so this guy is riding in the truck with him, and he, and he says to the guy, I read, a, I read a really great verse this morning, and I wanted to tell you about it. And he was thinking, you know, this will be so easy, because the guy usually keeps his nose in his newspaper, usually goes, uh-huh, okay. You know, I'll just, I'll just say it, and then I'll be done. The guy will keep reading his newspaper. Because that's what the guy did on the ride to work. This time, the guy puts down his newspaper, folds it up, turns to him and says, what was it? <laughs> and of course, that just, you know, the, my, my friend that was, that was promised to do this, here's what happened to him. And, you, and tell me if this has ever caused you to be afraid. His mind went blank. He could not remember the Bible verse. He could not remember where it was found in the Bible. He could not remember what it said. He couldn't remember a single thing. So he sits there and finally has to say, I, don't, I can't remember it now. And so the guy says, well, what was it about? And my friend said, I can't remember. And he said, well, and get this, this is so, 
it just so overwhelmed me with how much we're being watched and we don't realize the potential we have for witnessing. The guy reaches into the extended cab, you know, in the truck, reaches behind his seat and he says, well, I know your Bible is back here. Let me get it for you. And so the passenger that he's trying to witness to, he reaches back, he gets his Bible and he pulls it up and he says, well, you know, was it near the beginning, near the end? (laughs) And so he starts opening the Bible for him (laughs) because, of course, my friend is driving. And so he opens up the Bible and he starts thumbing through and still totally blank. It never came to him the whole time. So the guy starts flipping through his Bible, but this man had marked things in his Bible. And so he comes to Ecclesiastes 9, 5, and 6. What is that about? It's about how the wicked, or not the wicked, but the dead know not anything. And they're, yeah. And so he reads that and he says, I always wondered what happened after he died. And he went on to tell him about a family member and open up to him about a family member who had just died and how you know, it had been hard for him and he had been asking that question, where, where do people go when they die? And it wasn't the end. He flipped to a couple more verses. He gets to Isaiah, Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, <laughs> about the Sabbath. And so he, he gets to the one about the Sabbath, and he says, is that why you go to church on Saturday? <laughs> and my friend is just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was so amazing because the roles were t- totally turned. He says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up the courage to share this one Bible verse, and my friend is going to go, uh-huh, 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 you know. But instead, the other guy is reading his marked notes in his Bible, and my, my friend, the driver, witnessing, is going, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and so it's just, I mean, at, he came back that next week, you know, and he's, he's kind of like, well, here's my story. <laughs> what can I say? So I really want to encourage you to do, to do these things, to do hit-and-run Bible studies and to do one-verse Bible studies. They can be so low-key but you can begin to touch the relationships in your life with spiritual things and make that bridge. And you know what will happen? Is if you give that little Bible verse, make it so low-key, you don't have to make a big deal of it. Don't expect fireworks every time. You know? These kind of stories happen to, to encourage us. And, you know, I've done many Bible studies that never made decisions. You know, many, many sharing times and testimonies, literature, never see the results. But, yeah, exactly. You don't always see the results, but it's worth it for the 1 in 20, the 1 in 50. Leaves of autumn, you know, get it out, get it out. And what's going to happen, though, is you are going to become that person that they think of when they have spiritual needs. Because you are willing to go to them. You are willing to build the bridge. And even if they're not responsive right then, there will come a day and a time through all the things that God allows them to go through in their life when they will have questions and they will think, who do I know that might know the answer? And it may be, you know, there are college freshmen coming home and, and arguing about some philosophical thing and about the Bible or something, and they think, I don't know the answer, but, you know, Jackie, she would know. She, you know, she gave me that Bible verse a couple weeks ago. And so then they can start coming to you and asking you the questions you don't know the answers to. <laughs> And you can say, what? I don't know. But you're their friend, right? I'll see if I can find out. Let me know what you find out. I'll try to find out. And if you do know the answer, then enjoy sharing it with them. But if you don't know the answer, then understand that that's okay. Now, um, there's lots of training out there on how to do door-to-door work, correspondence Bible school, lending library, personal Bible studies, small group Bible studies. 
These are just other ways. But if I can inspire you to do hit and run and one verse Bible study, then what you'll do if you do a lot of them is you're going to find some people that want other kind of Bible studies. And you're going to, you'll go digging. You'll go find the training. You'll go get the Bible studies. You'll get the DVDs. You'll figure out how to do the rest of it. It's just getting started sometimes that is, that is the ch- most challenging thing. So, now, what if people are hostile? What if they blow up at me? What do I do? What do I do? God is calling people to, uh, to repent. I remember one guy, he actually lives in the Houston area, but he, he was a single dad. He had kids dependent on him. He had to get them to school. He had to get to work. He didn't have a lot of money. His car engine blew up. He calls us from the side of the road. And you were a couple states away. It wasn't like we could help. But he, we, he still called us. And so in the course of listening, he was upset. And uh, eventually, you know, we said something about spiritual things to him. You know, may I pray with you? And, you know, God can help you. I don't want God to fix it. I want to fix it myself. You know, he didn't want help. So you're going you're gonna to get people that slam the door in your face. You're going to get people that are unresponsive to the gospel and things like that. There's going to be people that don't want anything to do with God. But we have a promise. It's in John chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus says, I, if I be lifted up from earth, will draw, how many? All men unto me. Now, how can we understand this? Haven't you have a lot of people that when you mention Jesus to them, it seems to push them away instead of drawing them close? Well, here's the sinner, right? Here's the person. And here's who? God. Here's the sinner's great need, and here's God. And the beautiful, picture-perfect storybook story would be that, you know, the more you share about God to people, the more they hold on to God and hold on to the things you share with them and just grasp onto it and bond with God and become, you know, followers of Jesus and give their life to Jesus and get baptized and are on the journey to heaven with you. But I want you to notice something. This same great desperate need for God that's represented by this magnet and God's same wonderful answers and salvation and everything he has to offer can react like this with a person. Do you see me try to put these magnets together? What's happening? I'm applying force to try to connect these two together. And what's happening? They're repelling from each other. And so when you come close to people with the gospel story, even if it's a little hit-and-run Bible study, it may be so intimidating to that person because of their unwillingness to surrender at the time, their perceptions of God, that their very need for God will cause them to push them away. I want you to understand the heart of people, though. It's their need for God. It's God's great desire to help them that they're saying no to at the time. It's not about your failure in ministry. It's not about, I blew it and I better never open my mouth again. It's not about that. It's about the human reaction to God before a person is ready to surrender. Because God is speaking to that person. And the more hostile a person is, often the more they will fight against God. Now, we have five more minutes, according to my watch. And I want to I go through some things here. The, magnet, the magnetic need for God will either repel or draw close together or at times in people's life when they don't feel their need, there's no response at all. So, I see three responses when we share Jesus with people. First is hostile, that's repelling, pushing away. Second one is apathetic, just not interested. And if you take, if you take a magnet and where there's no magnetic part in it and you try to put it together, there's nothing. And that's like the people you share the gospel with. They just don't feel their need at that point. The hostile person feels their need. 
The hostile person feels their need. The seeker who is ready and responsive feels their need. The hostile pushes it away. The seeker draws it in and is happy for it. But the one that doesn't feel their need hasn't gone through enough crisis in their life to bottom out yet or hasn't gotten enough to realize how empty this life is feels no need. They're unresponsive. So what do you need to do? Wait until they get more crisis. Wait until they feel their need. But what about that hostile person? How do you work with them? And I've got to fly through this here. I'll tell you a quick story. I was knocking on doors, and I had a little interruption with my cell phone ringing, so I sat on the curb to take a call. The lady was suicidal, so I decided I better take the call. So I took the call and sat on the curb. This lady comes out of her house, sees me there, and I'm from here, here to that door over there. And she yells out at me, what do you want? You know, I wasn't even talking to her. And I said, well, I have a gift I want to bring to you. I was taking steps to Christ around the neighborhood. And she said, I'm not interested to skip my house. Hostile? Yes. But what do I know about the hostile? The hostile person feels their need. Please say that with me. The hostile person feels their need. And they're fighting against it, right? So anyway, I skipped the home and I went down to a few others. It was a dead end, so I had to come back. And I'm praying about it. What do I do? And by then, there's a gentleman out on the patio with her, and they're talking. And I just felt impressed to go there anyway. You know, there's times that Jesus says go. And so I walk up the, the, uh, her driveway, but at the same time, I want to respect, respect her, you know? And so I said, I know. My first words were, I know you told me, and I called it out to her. I know you told me not to stop, but I really want to drop this off. It's just a gift for you. And she nodded her, you know, grudging willingness. And the gentleman was very, you know, he was like, sure. He didn't know anything about her, what she had said when he was in the house, you know? So I go up and I give him the book. It was Steps to Christ with the, um, the, the tall city building and Jesus knocking on it, if you've seen that one. And it was around 9-11. And I said, you know, with 9-11 and everything that's happened, I said, you know, people are wondering, you know, why did this happen? Why did God let this happen? And the gentleman, he looks at me and he said, I don't wonder why it happens. He said, I wonder if they were ready. And I thought to myself, you know, what a, what a divine opportunity. So we begin talking together. And uh, we talked together for a little while. It was a great conversation. I have prayer with them, give them the book, walk out the driveway, and hear the words that are music to my ear. She and the man are talking. They don't know I can hear them. And the lady says to the man, what did you think about that lady coming when I told her not to? And he said, well, this book looks really interesting. I'm going to read it. And she said, me too. And I just, from then on, I'm like, Lord, give me another hostile person who needs you, and somehow give me that opportunity to break through the barrier. I want to go through some equations with you. And just fix these equations in your mind and and work with them. Equations for ministry. Equation number one is key to reaching the hostile. Here's what happens with the hostile. Where is it here? All right, I'm just going to have to back up and go right here. We'll fill in some of this here. Here's what's going on with the hostile. You have a person who has somewhere in their life encountered authority, maybe even Christian belief that focuses on the law of God. They've encountered the ideas of God's authority, the judgment, the law. Uh, Maybe they have had a very abusive life. Maybe it was an authority figure like a parent. It was a religious figure. They have suffered pain at the hands of authority in their life. Or they've just suffered pain in general, unfairly treated. 
A hostile person is a searching person who feels their need, but they're a hurt person. So, generally this person has plenty of knowledge about their problems, their sins, the law of God, the judgments of God, but what they have not experienced is the love of God. One of our Bible workers in New York City knocked on a lady's apartment. The lady came to the door and said, what do you want? <laughs> and the guy, you know, obviously she, he had something religious. She said, I'm an atheist, I'm not interested. He looked her straight in the eye and said, have you ever met a God who loved you? She melted. And 20 minutes later, they were concluding a wonderful spiritual conversation. And he was able to share many things about God to her. What is missing in a hostile person's life? Knowledge of God's law? Typically not. Knowledge of God's authority? Typically not. Knowledge of how bad they are and the sins they've committed in their life and how they need to change? Usually not. What do they need? The love. The love of God. The love of God. So I want to encourage you, if you ever meet a hostile person, wear them down with love. Because truth or the law of God without love creates hostility. So what do we need to give them? Love. Exactly. Now, what about an apathetic person? We're going to wrap it up here. Give me two more minutes here. What about an apathetic person? What about the indifferent or apathetic, that person that feels no need of God? Now, many times they actually have a spiritual belief system, a religious theory in their, in their mind where they have so much knowledge of God's love and his forgiveness, but they do not rec- recognize the claims of God's holy law. Now, what do these people need? They need to hear the truth from God's word. So, I want to encourage you to be willing to have the courage to go into a person's life who is apathetic and little by little share with them things about God's law, about the judgment. That's what got my husband's attention at a certain point in his life. There are times when people need wake-up calls. God gave Adam and Eve a wake-up call in the Garden of Eden. So just keep these two equations in your mind because it's the law of God that awakens people. And we can't develop this further. I have a whole set of DVDs that goes through this whole process of awakening spiritual interest in people. If that would be of interest, if you'd like more information, please take advantage of that training. But we go through the importance of God's law and how to work with hostile and indifferent people. All right. I've got to wrap it up. But you know, it's summarized in Ephesians 4, verse 15. It says, speaking the truth in love. So let's see. Even though we've spent just a little bit of time on it, what does a hostile person need? Love. What does an indifferent, apathetic person need? Truth. Okay. And so I've watched people in your fellowship and your relationships with people look for opportunities. Does this person need love right now? Or do they need more of the truth of God's word? And, you, and you're always doing this balancing act because sometimes people flip. They hear some truth and then they put up the resistance. And they may have some resistance to that. And then what do they need? They need love. Exactly. And then they become, maybe you know, the conviction wears away. And they need to know more of the truth of what God is leading them to. What do they need now? Truth. All right. Exactly. Speaking the truth in love. And so as you work with people, you can work with them without breaking fellowship. You can work with them without alienating them. If you know what approach to take, depending on where their response is to the gospel. All right, God's promise is, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. 
when somebody is hostile, they are being drawn because that's an expression of their need. Because if they had no need, they wouldn't fight against it. If somebody is indifferent, the need has not been awakened yet. And watch the experiences they go through. Share God's word with them. Be brave enough to do it. Keep working with them and watch this balance that goes on in people's lives. We've got to wrap it up. And you've been a wonderful class. Yes, please. Well, they've already engaged you in the battle. Don't retreat. Keep loving them. All right? They're the ones, you're the one they chose to pick a fight with, right? So you're not, obviously you're not going to fight back. You're not going to take it personal. But you continue to stay available to them as a God-given opportunity because they see something in you worth fighting against. And they're, sometimes they're testing something in you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you don't run away when we push you away. Thank you that you don't give up. Thank you that you believe in us. Thank you that you persistently call. Thank you that you keep working with us. Lord, give us eyes to see people the way you see them. Give us hearts to love them the way you love them. And give us the faith to trust your promises that if we speak the word in love, that you will draw people. Because when you're lifted up, people will be drawn to Jesus. Lord, please empower this whole audience, Lord. Each individual person here, empower them to take the gospel to the world that you've placed them in. And may we go home with as many as possible of our friends and our enemies coming with us. Thank you, Jesus. We give you all the credit. In your name I pray. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.